Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren. I'm musically challenged. All right, Warren. So we are in our first episode this year for Black History Month, and I kind of debated on what we were going to start with. Masterfully, Um, I might say. You really took time to think about what you were going to do. I did. I did. You were you were with me when I was debating this. And originally, so we are doing Porgy and Bess today. And that is, that, that was one that I was kind of iffy on doing for Black History Month because it's not written by a black composer or a black librettist or black lyricist. But it's very important for black theater history. And originally, because of Sidney Poitier's passing, I thought, oh, we should do the 1959 movie. And then as I was doing more research into Porgy and Bess and some of the original cast, I realized that we need to hold off on the movie. So we're going to be doing a actual opera version of it. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But just know that on a different week, we will be doing the movie version. It just probably won't be during February. But it is available for people to see on YouTube. Well, then we will do a a part one with a part two TBD. Yes, a part two TBD. So, um, and I've, I've been kind of having a lot of issues on what to do this year for Black History Month just because of stuff that happened in our life and not having access to my usual materials. So this one was one that was kind of in my back pocket for an emergency. It was the break in in case of glass (laughs) or break glass in case of emergency musical slash opera that I had waiting in case... The worst happened, and the worst happened. (laughs) (laughs) Preparation. Yes, it is preparation. Unfortunately, I do not have another musical to put in that case yet. (laughs) (laughs) We will deal with that emergency at another point in time. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, this musical slash opera, Porgy and Bess, is a Gershwin opera. Gershwin may sound similar to, or not similar, familiar to you. Yes, I was going to say, when you said familiar, I was like, wait, what did I hear? Yeah, this is <laughs> this is going to be George Gershwin is the main composer behind this, uh, and his brother Ira Gershwin assisted with lyrics. Do you know anything about either of the Gershwins? All I know is when you said the word Gershwin, uh, there were brain cells that were like, hey, I think I remember something, but they don't remember enough to know anything. All right. So Gershwin was an incredibly prolific composer. The one that I know for sure that you will have heard of his, or rather seen a a interpretation of his, is Rhapsody in Blue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, from, from Fantasia 2000. Yes. And so this... I just wanted to give you that really quick so that you had something in your mind with this. This isn't going to be an episode about the Gershwin brothers just because that'll be another episode Mm -hmm. and this is Black History Month. And like I said, 
they are not black. They were two Jewish composers. Um, but it will be important to note that the composer George Gershwin, the lyricist, his brother Ira Gershwin, and the librettist, DuBose Hayward, were all not black. And in fact, this opera is going to be based on a play written by DuBose uh, Hay Hayward called Porgy, uh, and it really he and his wife Dorothy Hayward, who was also a playwright, uh, wrote the play, and that play is based on the book Porgy, which was also written by Dubose Hayward. So Dubose Hayward writes the novel Porgy, and uh, it's it's in turn, according to Susanna Smith Miles of the Charlton Magazine is based on a real person named Samuel Goatcart Sam Smalls, who from her article was born in 1889. By the 1920s, he and his goat cart were familiar on or familiar figures on downtown streets. He was also well known to the constabulary. Uh, Hayward apparently learned of him through a news courier article recounting Small's arrest after he tried to shoot a woman. The police only apprehended him after he and his goat led them on a chase down several alleys. He had been arrested a year earlier on a similar charge. Does the goat have a name? No. Okay. But uh, he's he is not going to be like that in this musical. They really, <laughs> oh, they man. really make Porgy a much more likable character I was than Samuel Smalls. <laughs> I was looking forward to a goat chase. <laughs> no, but ah. there there is a goat cart in the musical, and it does play a part more. Um, it, it does play a part, but <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not gonna be a. Bit, it's not going to be like the main thing of a goat chase. Oh, so disappointed Warren. I know, I know. And uh, in fact, the Bess that is in the musical that's the love interest isn't really based on anybody. And we're going to get into the importance of this character. But uh, in the store, in the original novel, the original play, and the original drafts of the opera, she was a smaller character. She was not the, uh, she wasn't the deuteragonist of the show. She wasn't as important, and she definitely gets a much larger role, and we'll get into why. So the book, play, and opera are all definitely relics of the time they were created in. Mm. Uh, they were, the book came out in 1925, the play in 1927, I believe, and then uh, we'll get into the opera being in the mid-30s. but all, all really great times for black people. Oh, God. Well, we're going to get into some of that with this. So the book has characters speaking in Gullah, which is a Creole language that was developed by black slaves in the islands around South Carolina and Georgia mostly. And it's actually still spoken today. I almost did a whole rabbit hole dive <laughs> into that history, but had to remind myself you're writing an episode on Porgy and Bess. <laughs> okay, just 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 because, uh, uh, as we've discussed, it's very hard to understand that type of dialect. So this is island Creole, not swamp Creole. <laughs> it is. It is. And and Creole is a language family. It's it's sort of a combination of languages due to various factors that turn it into its own language. So it's not, 
it, it usually will start as a... Uh, no, no, no. I, I feel... Okay, okay. Uh, so so it, your, your ignorant husband is going to ask, to me, Creole is inbred mutant French. Yeah, no, that's not the case with... It's, it's a mix. So Creole is just the name for a specific type of language. And then you'll have different types of Creole okay. that are... Like, I want to say... And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole right now. <laughs> I'm so sorry because I'm so ignorant and I don't understand. The only thing I know is the seasoning is delicious. And then I try to understand the the, the dynamics of Creole and my brain just goes, am yeah. I getting eaten by an alligator from the inside? No, no. So uh, Creole, basically, type of language that's a mix of a bunch of different languages because uh, of... Um, all sorts of different circumstances, so like... But the French the Creole, did, play a, did play a role, right? In, I am in right Louisiana about... Creole, yes. Okay, okay. So, the, oh, so it's, okay. it's like I said, it's different <laughs> language families. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm sorry. It's we, okay. <laughs> we, will, we will someday do a deep dive into the Creole language on another episode <laughs> where I'm allowed to say other things. Yeah, because really, for me to go into it, I have to remember my linguistics classes, mm. and that will take more time and turn this into a four-hour-long dissertation on how language is structured. So just because my, my uh, uh, squirrel brain... Um, talking about languages yes. and deconstruction of that made me start thinking about the Garden of Eden, but they're talking in Creole. And, uh, we'll talk about Children of Eden another day. It, that what? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, okay, no. That one, that oh, one no. Not, that one is not in Creole, but I couldn't help but make okay. a joke. Very nice. <laughs> about that musical, because... I don't know. I have a soft spot for it, even though it's not the best show. <laughs> I apologize. I will, I will stop interrupting you so you may educate me. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, this is a opera written by a, bl a group of non-black people, which is one of the things that makes this opera controversial. Because if you're not of the culture, you can't really write about it and have it be completely authentic, and there is a lot of room for missteps, and things just won't sound genuine. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, Hal Johnson, who, tone-deaf listeners, I have been looking for productions of his work, Run Little Chillin', like, the full version of it, not just snippets. So if anyone has any way of getting me these resources, the email address, email address is tonedefmusical at gmail.com. T-O-N-E-D-E-A-F musical at gmail.com <laughs> thank you yes so uh he he even spoke on this back when the opera was first released in a review for opportunity which i was able to find and i have access to that journal now i am so happy <laughs> nice <laughs> so he says about Gershwin, he is an individual artist, is free to write about Negroes in his own way as any other composer to write about anything else. The only thing a really creative artist can be expected to give us is an expression of his own reaction to a given stimulus. We are not compelled to agree with it or even like it. It is not to be considered as just another photograph of our old estimates snapshotted by a new photographer. 
True, we should expect Mr. Gershwin to have a more intimate contact with his subject than the European composers who have attempted Negro idioms, but if he has and does not care to profit by it, we must still accept his contribution as the sum total of what he really feels. What we are to consider, then, is not a Negro opera by Gershwin, but Gershwin's idea of what, it, what a Negro opera should be. The fact that it is advertised under the broader subtitle American Folk Opera does not disguise the specific direction of his attempt. I think that's really excellently put. Yes. So, without going on too much of a tangent, this is kind of an age-old problem, the issue of representation, because on the one hand, we have here an opera that is written to have an all-black cast, mostly to avoid what would have happened in the 30s, mm -hmm. see our minstrel show episode about why blackface is bad, but it does veer into this is a stereotype rather than a genuine portrayal territory quite a bit. And on the side of it having an all-black cast, this was the only way that classically trained black singers could get into most of these large venues at the time. And it will have horrifying implications for when we talk about things like the opera Aida and the play Othello in the future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, on the one hand, it's not going to be great because it's not written as authentically as it could be, but on the other hand, it created this avenue for classically trained black performers and led to the temporary integration of the National Theater, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And I mean temporary. Yeah, you're saying temporary. Very temporary. <laughs> One night only, come and see. Hey, now it was seven days. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, and, and I'm going to get into that because I have a quote from one of the actresses on it. So on the history of Porgy and Bess, Gershwin expressed interest in adapting the novel Porgy after reading it in 1926. He and Hayward worked together on the opera, but Gershwin's other projects led to a delay, which is also where Al Jolson almost came in. Hmm. Al Jolson for those who do not know, is most well-known for performing in blackface for minstrel shows. Oh, okay, okay. If, if you're like me, I my first thing with Al Jolson was actually a Looney Tunes cartoon. Was it Looney Tunes or was it Merry Melodies? It might have been Merry Melodies. Um, but it was the one with Owl Jolson with the little kid, little... Uh, kid owl that really wants to do <laughs> jazz, but his parents are all classically trained. And I love to sing a yeah. about the moon and the Juna and the spring. I love to sing a. So that was my very first introduction. And then immediately after, I was educated about Al Jolson <laughs> mm -hmm. because that's what happens when you are a black child is that you learn things that some schools don't want kids to learn. At an earlier age. <laughs> you learn uncomfortable realities about history yes. early. Yes. I, realities I, that some people want to pretend like didn't, are, did not happen and are not happening and is not real. I don't think I was in kindergarten when I had the first hints of the racism talk. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact that I was six years old with my first experience of true racism, which is why... 
This is why I wish I knew you when we were kids. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Things would have been a lot easier. Mm-hmm. We would have taken the world by storm, Warren. We would have been a power couple. We would have been a power couple <laughs> at six and at six. seven. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever my age is, minus 11 months. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, back to the notes that I have. So the production on this opera didn't start until 1933. And then in 1934, Gershwin travels to South Carolina, which... I will take a slight tangent on because this, according to this article that I found, uh, may have been the inspiration for the song Summertime, which is one of the most well-known songs from this opera. According to Stephen Raskowskis, uh, in his article for WFMT, The Surprising Origins of Gershwin's Classic Summertime, uh, the article goes into something that made me sit and pause and go, oh, they most likely did heavily reference an actual Negro spiritual for this song. Like, in Rather a... than using ah, the spiritual. Gotcha. <laughs> because part of the issue is that Gershwin didn't want to use actual folk songs in his folk opera. He created folk songs hmm. for this opera. And... That kind of messes with the authenticity a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, like... I am going to do a little bit of a demonstration for you with the song Summertime Mm. and the song that we're pretty sure, according to this article, Summertime sampled. So, first off... Summertime and the living is easy. Fish are jumping and the cotton is high. So there's summertime for you. Mm. Now I'm going to talk about the spiritual called Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. Oh! Which would have been published officially in 1899. It was not included in the first songbook of what at the time were called slave songs, Uh uh, but it was one. Yeah. And so there is a chance that Gershwin would have heard it. And at the very least, Hayward, who wrote the lyrics for Summertime, would have heard it. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. A long way from home. A long way from home. You can kind of see Mm -hmm. where summertime evolved from. And I may have messed up the key a little bit there, but that's because I had the key for summertime stuck in my head. Hey, I thought it was gorgeous and, well, you know... thank you, but it may not have been an accurate representation, but thank you very much. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since I've... Okay, it's been a couple of days since I listened to Motherless Child when I was writing the script for this episode. But there are subtle similarities in them, and it's 
absolutely possible that summertime is heavily inspired by this spiritual. And I have to agree with uh, Raskowskis in his article, it would have been fine in place of where summertime is in the opera, because summertime is being sung by a mother singing her child to sleep. And it becomes kind of a, it gets reprised later and more of a dark reprise that uh, you'll, you'll understand it when it happens, but it would have fit perfectly in place of summertime. And as much as I love summertime, I I feel like Gershwin probably could have used at least one actual quote-unquote folk song in his quote-unquote folk opera. <laughs> You're not wrong. And it, yeah, it's it's frustrating that uh, uh, he didn't. Yeah, yeah. God, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very frustrating. And as for the whole folk opera thing... It was controversial in its 1935 opening because of the nature of the music. Because it's somewhere between an opera and a musical. And Gershwin did challenge the standard for opera at the time. And also there were folks who were upset because of an all-black cast in an opera on Broadway. Because there's always that. There's always that. And especially that in the 30s. But... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And when we talk about Once on this Island next week, I will talk about how that's still a thing that people get upset about in the 2000s. So, this also, though, did draw controversy from the black community at the time because of the concern of perpetuating stereotypes, which, yes, I absolutely understand that, and it's such a catch-22 for singers for all the reasons I mentioned before. Because, again... You've got representation. You want to make sure that they don't have white people in blackface, but are you harming the rest of the community by being in a show that perpetuates stereotypes that's written by someone who's not part of the community? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much a catch-22. Speaking of the singers, I want to talk a little bit about the original Bess in Porgy and Bess, because she was an interesting woman, and this is who the rest of this episode is going to be about, because I went down a rabbit hole on this woman. I, so I, I, to peel back the curtain a little bit, I had like 10 tabs open, (laughs) trying to corroborate parts from each article, because whenever you have someone that was born in the early 1900s, there are often mm-hmm. bits that are missing in early life. Or inconsistencies or based inconsistencies. on different accounts. And, yeah. Yeah. But you did journalism. You did I research. Did, I did research. You did research. And you do that because you're smart and you know how to do research and you know how to cross-examine. Yes. And so uh, some of this is going to be from an article on afrovoices.com that I was able to corroborate from other sources. So, Anne Wiggins Brown was born August 9th, 1912, to Dr. Harry F. Brown and Mary Wiggins Brown of Baltimore, Maryland. Wiggins. Wiggins. From an early age, she and her sisters were involved in music, and her parents tried to help foster her passion, her mother teaching her to sing and uh, her parents attempting to enroll her in a Catholic school. But 
she was not allowed in the Catholic school because this was early 1900s in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. She also ran into issues attempting to get into college. Uh, She tried to get into the Peabody School of Music. And again, 1900s, we, we don't have a lot of integration in schools. I mean... No, I'm not going to get into a thing on HBCUs. Okay. (laughs) I was about to go down another rabbit hole on why HBCUs (laughs) are so important and why I get really mad whenever people go, well, you have all black schools, so why are you doing that? Isn't that racism? Mm. Maybe it's because we couldn't get into colleges. Yeah, maybe you had to make your own because people wouldn't let you into the other ones. Mm -hmm. So it's different. Yeah, yeah. History, please. History is important. Yes, this is why I feel like having these lessons are so important. Because people seem to live in this day and age where they're kind of like, well, it's this way now. It's always Mm -hmm. been like this. And Mm -hmm. it's like, that's an oversimplification. But they don't realize how close Mm -hmm. uh, how close in time it was that People were not treated as people because they're mm-hmm. still technically not. That's why people are marching in the streets and fighting and being pissed off. Yes. Yes. So she graduates from high school at 16, and that's when she starts really making history because she becomes the first black vocalist to be accepted at Juilliard, according to most of the articles that I found, and is the first black student to earn the Margaret McGill Scholarship. According to a quote from her article in The Best Years of Her Life, which I love that (laughs) pun. (laughs) Yeah, right on. Mm -hmm. Anne said her father was very worried about my living in New York, although in 1928 it was nowhere as dangerous as it is today. So my mother left my father and went back to live with her family. She said, I will not come back until you let Anne go to New York. (laughs) wow yes mom was like daughter is she is making her own path she's gonna do her thing Mm -hmm. so uh in her second year uh, at juilliard another black student asks her if she heard about this new opera that was looking for singers an opera called porgy because the end best was not part of it yet Mm -hmm. so here's it yes here is a quote from Anne on her audition I discovered that George Gershwin was searching for singers, both musical comedy and jazz singers, for an opera he was writing. I wrote him a letter that same evening, and a few days later I had a call from his secretary asking me to come for an audition. I just did the things that I would have done at Juilliard. He asked me finally to sing a Negro spiritual. (laughs) To which I reacted rather aggressively, perhaps. I love her. And <laughs> and I said, I didn't bring any of that kind of music. And I resented the fact that so many people expected African-Americans to sing Negro spirituals and sometimes only that. That hadn't been his attitude at all. But when he saw how I reacted to it, he said, all right. And then I sang a spiritual for him without an accompaniment because I didn't have any music for it. And he was very, very pleased. And according to The Guardian, Gershwin had actually told her, wherever you go, you must sing that spiritual without accompaniment. It is the most beautiful spiritual I have ever heard. So she sings this spiritual, City Called Heaven, and Gershwin is like, this is my best. 
and she becomes the best to Todd Duncan's Porgy in the opera. As Gershwin is writing the music and they're working on the libretto, Bess starts to become more central of a character to the story. Nice. So she was a powerful enough of a person that he's like, yes. we need to put these two together. Yes. And so uh, from Anne, one day George Gershwin says, come Annie. After he met my mother and heard her call me Annie, he always called me Annie. I have something to tell you. You take a glass of orange juice with me across the street at the cafe. He ordered something, a sandwich, and he said, I have news for you. From now on, George Gershwin's opera will be known as Porgy and Bess. And of course, that was a great thrill because I had already upped the importance of the role I was to play. We joked about it a bit. I had heard rumors that maybe there would be a change in the name, but it was a surprise when he announced it to me in that way. That's cool. Yes. So the show has its tryout at Bo in Boston at the Colonial Theater before moving to the Alvin Theater on Broadway for 124 performances. Even though the show was, even though the show itself was not as well received by critics, the performances of the actors were, and so the show gets sent on its national tour. On the reception of Porgy and Bess from black op audiences, Anne says, "Many blacks were profoundly unhappy." My father was very displeased. He thought that those were the old cliches of black people. Dope peddlers, near prostitutes. He especially didn't like that his daughter was showing her legs and all that. I thought that DeBose, Hayward, and Gershwin had simply taken a part of life in Catfish Row, South Carolina, and rendered it superbly. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so there's, mm. there is a split. <laughs> See, that's interesting, though, too, because I get the father's perspective of saying that's the old stereotypes, you know, we're not like that anymore. And the daughter mm -hmm. is like going, um, this unfortunately is playing out. Like, yes. he's like, he took a slice of this and put it here. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was cool that she. Yeah. And said that. and part of it, too, uh, without going too much on a tangent has to do with some of the socioeconomic things that occur because sometimes that's the only way that you can make a living and so on and so forth capitalism well, breeds it well and then it just all circles back around on itself like a crappy ouroboros because those social yes. inequities that are built into the system trickle down and that's why people are in those hardship situations where they mm -hmm. have to result to desperate measures because they were put there yep yep so, anyway, <laughs> excuse me. You're fine. So, like I said before, on this national tour, they end up scheduled at the segregated National Theater, and the cast protests, because if they had been prospective audience members, they would have been segregated to a small section if even allowed in at all. Jeez. Yes. <laughs> From Anne, I told them... Ugh. I will not sing at the National. If my mother, my father, my friends, if black people cannot come hear me sing, then count me out. Nice. I remember Gershwin saying to me, you're not going to sing? And I said to him, I can't sing. I I respect that. Yes. She, she put her career on the line mm -hmm. to, to, for what she believes in, and it's not a... It's not a <laughs> regressive social push. It is mm -mm. a progressive social push, and she yes. put her career on the line, and that is heroism. Yes, and uh, it it probably could have gone worse mm -hmm. if it Absolutely. hadn't have been for Todd Duncan, who was her co-star, doing the same thing and going, no, I'm not singing. So mm -hmm. if you don't have your Porgy and Bess, then... Who are you going to have? Yes. 
And so the run of the show at the National Theater was integrated. And then as soon as the show left, it was segregated again. <laughs> Curtain goes down, uh, colored section comes back. Uh-huh. That's just... Which... Because you, know, you know, in that run, that test run, it was mm-hmm. a complete disaster. It was mm-hmm. obvious that there was going to be violence. I mean, black and white people just can't be in the same room together and not be segregated. So it's a good thing they had to, to, re- to go back to segregation. For the safety of the black people. <laughs> I mean, see our episode on little africa (laughs) yeah Uh. (laughs) on who caused the problems (laughs) but i digress i i actually did think about last year when i was trying to plan for this year should i do an episode on the segregation in theaters and this year got too heavy for me so that'll Mm -hmm. be next year (laughs) because i need to take care of my mental health too yes you do (laughs) so Porgy and Bess launches Anne's career. She performs in the review Pins and Needles, and at some point I will introduce you to musical reviews. Uh, (laughs) Hayward brings her back for Mamba's Daughters. She performs in La Belle Helene. Uh, She performed Beethoven's Ninth Ninth on Armistice Day in 1941. She returns for the 1942 and 1948 revivals of Porgy and Bess. She performs nationwide and then deals with being unable to perform in concert halls at her own hometown because of segregation. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know what it kind of reminds me of to an extent, and it's 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 a tangent again, mm-hmm. but it reminds me of how the military was integrated before society was. So you'd have mm-hmm. these people who were raised on military bases integrated, who then go into civilian society and are treated horrible. Mm-hmm. And it's just... <sighs> If you need your screaming pillow, it's over there. It's over there. I, I forgot what month it was going to be when this releases, and it's all right. So then we're going to talk about the fact that I didn't bring up from the jump. She was mixed. Oh, okay. And even though she's of mixed ancestry and very light-skinned this is america in the 40s it does not matter Mm -hmm. how light you are if you've got a drop in you if you have a year-round tan Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if 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 you have a drop of black ancestry in you you are black you are shunned you are less You, you are less than white you are less than white yeah so what Anne said about being of mixed ancestry in america In the 40s, we tough girls tough it out. I've lived a strange kind of life, half black, half white, half isolated, half in the spotlight. Many things that I wanted as a young person for my career were denied to me because of my color. On the other hand, many black folks have said, well, she's not really black. Mm -hmm. Only when I went on a train or into a theater did I think about passing, and even then I didn't consider it passing. I figured if I simply asked for a ticket, it was their problem. On stage, though, they couldn't take me as I was. The hell with them. I really like her. Yeah. I really like her. And later she remarks, if I had been born even 20 years later, I might have sung at the Metropolitan Opera. I might have marched for civil rights. I would have been there for that. My life would not have been very different. Or my life would have been very different. Of course, I would not have met Mr. Gershwin, and that would have been a shame. So, yeah, 
after dealing with all of this racism, she does what a lot of people did. Do they go to Europe? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. I hate when I can predict racism. Yes. And, Stuff. and what's interesting about this is that she does not go... She she does go to the UK to perform because she reprises Bess again in Copenhagen in Denmark, and then she sings with the London Philharmonic. But then she goes to Norway, which seems to have a very different view on race issues than anywhere else in Europe because she meets and falls in love with Olympic skier, philosopher, and journalist, and I'm so sorry, I'm going to destroy this name, Thorleaf Sheldrup. Sheldrup. Sheldrup? Sheldrup? Sheldrup. Maybe. But his first name is Thorleaf? Yes. I would marry him. Or what do you like that man that man skis with thunder. That man outruns the storm on skis, you know? <laughs> and then he does tricks as he does flips in the air, and then he lands and just comes right up to her and he's just like, Hi. <laughs> and she's just like hey. Yeah, exactly. And she's just like, Marry me. And he's yeah. like, Yes. And then he picks her up and they ski away and they live happily ever after, right, Kay? For the most part. Sweet. They do separate later in life, but they mm. still are friendly and okay. still, yeah, they, it's, she's been married twice at this point and, ah, gotcha. or no, she's been married three times at this point. So, so she might be the one who's like, this has been fun, but I'm going to go over here. Yes, now. pretty much. <laughs> Thank you for a lovely time. Yes. <laughs> so, um, she raises her blended family, her daughter from her second marriage, and her daughter with Thorleaf in Norway while she continues to perform in operas, performing in the medium, the telephone, and the console, all by Giancarlo Minotti. Uh, she records a four-song album of spirituals, including, of course, City Called Heaven. How can you not if that's the one that catapults you into the limelight? Uh, she teaches opera singing. She's doing wow. amazing. Yeah. And then in 1967, her asthma catches up and says, you're done singing. Oh. So it ends her performing career, but she still continues teaching. Cool. And she even teaches tone-deaf alumnus Liv Ullman. She was Catherine in The Lost Horizon. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. And uh, Elizabeth Norberg Schultz, among others. Her autobiography, Sang fra Frozen Gren, a song from a frozen branch was published in 1979 and is unfortunately in German. Well done pronouncing and that, Kay. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's give an applause for Kay, right? I don't. That was good. German is my French. I, I do not have a la brain for languages. I do not have a brain for much. <laughs> I, I really struggle with German. I. Little tangent, when I was in second grade, I could have learned German, and I actually sat in in a few classes. This was when I was at Challenger School. And then my mom found out and also found out that they were going to be charging her. Mm. So. Oh, because you were voluntarily sitting in on a class that she wasn't paying for. So they were like, just so you know. Because I didn't know it cost money. Adorable. Yeah, you're just like, oh, knowledge. Yes. May I have some of the knowledge, please? Yes. Please, sir, may I have some more? Please, sir, I would like some more knowledge. So. More? Are you going to pay, child? 
I, uh, so, in another universe, Kay knows German. <laughs> uh, you know... Everything's the same except Kay knows German. But you know, it, it makes you able to screw with Nazis that much better. Because, I know. Because modern Nazis love fanboying. Like, they love trying it's to be so 1940s Nazis. They really do. So they all learn German, so they can have German code words. It's it's It's, it's so weird and so stupid. It's I hate LARPing. It. It's... <laughs> Why are racists so stupid? Uh, remember when they were drinking milk to show how great they were? <laughs> yeah. That was... <sighs> okay. Sorry. Tangent. <laughs> Just just because milk makes me gassy doesn't make me inferior, dang it. <laughs> um, look at me, I can drink baby cow juice. <laughs> I squeeze the cow water. Uh, anyway, um, so this... In 1991, she's sent by the Norwegian government to tour Africa to scout for performers. Like, cool. for the opera and stuff. That's pretty cool. And she said, on this she says, my roots go back to Scotland and to Native Americans, as well as to Africa. Uh, she says, but in Tanzania, Zambia, and Zimbabwe, I first learned, or I first realized how much African culture we African Americans still have. I felt more at home in Africa than I have in some places in America. It's very easy to romanticize this, and I don't want to, but I just felt at home. That's really nice. Yes. And uh, also sitting here going, wow, you went to Zambia too. <laughs> <laughs> That's, did you, did you go to Andola? Did you, did you, did you go to uh, Chihuahua? Did you, anyway. Oh, man. I, I love, I love this woman. She was amazing. She, I'm very she impressed really with her. Yes. Yeah. She received the George Peabody Medal for Outstanding Contributions in Music in America in 1998, which is kind of a, hmm, because of her not being accepted to the Peabody School of Music because she was black. <laughs> so back in the day, she was denied, and then she gets an award. Well, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's one of those like, hmm. It's one of those things that it's like if they would have given her an honorary degree or something like that is almost like a, hey, I'm sorry we were crappy back then. Like, it's a mm -hmm. nice gesture, but at the same time, unless they did it with a way big, hey, we know that... Mm -hmm. What we did was bad and what we participated in was bad mm -hmm. and we will forever be better going forward. I could see her being like, okay, thank you. I mm -hmm. graciously take this gift. Otherwise, it would be like. She is mm -hmm. way more gracious than me, but part of that is because of how much I have learned. Yeah, she's classier than I ever could be. <laughs> you're, but you're pretty classy. Oh, you, thank or, you. Oh, sure. You can be very. Classy. I can be very classy. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a classy individual. If if I d um there i used to be and, and then, then you met me well and then i was wallowing in the mud and i pulled you down in with me and i had some moments that made me go oh all the class in the world is not going to keep me safe from racists mm, yeah <laughs> and so it it definitely hardened me quite a bit <laughs> but only in a screw all racist way not in a screw all white people way well that's that's a good way yeah that's a good way racism is bad so um yeah she's man she was just so cool 
And without getting on a tangent in academia, this is a common thing that they do where they'll do things where it's really cool, but they don't do enough to make up for what they did or what they're still doing. Yeah, it's it's the yeah, it, it's kind of the, it, the token gesture to an yes. extent. We, yes. we can make a gesture for our PR that isn't going to have any root effect or yes. substantial effect. So she participates in the Library of Congress's commemoration of George Gershwin's 100th birthday with some more of the original cast of Porgy and Bess. And she's the guest of honor at the Oslo Opera House's opening gala in 2008. And then on March 3rd of 2009, she passed at 96 years of age. That's a nice full life. Yeah, that's a good full life. Um, Now, unfortunately, we don't have a recording for you to watch of... Anne Wiggins Brown and Porgy and Bess, but we do have a version of Porgy and Bess available to us on Broadway HD. This one will star Eric Owens and Lakita Mitchell, and it was produced by the San Francisco Opera in 2013. So we have subtitles. San Francisco Opera House does good stuff. Yes, they Um, do. We have these two, the two Porgy and Bess, these two stars. We have not seen them in anything. No, we have not. Just want to make sure. And like I said, there's a film version, but we're saving it for another time. And part of that is because of the history of it. I'll go into it more, but it's technically a lost film. Oh. And I say technically because it was on TV for a while and some people were able to rip it to VHS and then rip it to YouTube. Gotcha. But it exists nowhere else. It exists nowhere else because of Gershwin's estate. Ah. And we'll get into that when we talk about it. Okay. Um, But I wanted to do this version so that you had subtitles because you absolutely will not have subtitles with the (laughs) Sidney Poitier version because it just doesn't exist because... Oh, speaking of Sidney Poitier, we watched uh, To Sir With Love last night Mm -hmm. with uh, my sister and my mom. And my mom was the one who wanted to watch it because I can't remember what we got on the topic of. Mm -hmm. Oh, but probably was Sidney Poitier. And she talked about that movie. And uh, my sister had never seen it. I'd never seen it. I'd seen it. You had seen it a bunch. When I was really little, I'd seen it. Okay. Yeah. My mom had seen it, I guess, a bunch when she was younger. And that was a great movie. Mm -hmm. And it just always, Sidney Poitier is so good. That movie hits different when you're a, when you've been a teacher. <laughs> it sure really it does. does, and it did make me feel a little guilty for not staying in teaching. But at the same time, I'm like, no, to sir with love is kind of a. It's a very good movie, but it definitely romanticizes. You know, as your as your uh, husband and the the white man in the house, <laughs> knowing what's going on. I would not let you teach. Oh, no. There's no way that I would would be teaching now. I would clutch you to my bosom and be like, no, you will not venture out. Mm -mm, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. And between between COVID Mm -hmm. and not being allowed to teach history as it really happened and (laughs) being a black person in academia, I would not have... I mean, I'm not in academia, but... I would have had to have been to finish teaching. Mm-hmm. I would, I, no, no. I think that anyone who is a teacher right now in these circumstances and is trying are the real superheroes mm-hmm. and deserve way more than they're getting. Yeah. And I could go on a rant about that. We for, have. Yeah, I Multiple have. times. And we'll continue to until social inequities are addressed as they should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By a responsible adult society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
it's a nightmare. So, anyway, that is the rest of my presentation to you on Porgy and <laughs> Bess and Anne Brown's wig, brand, and Anne Brown Wiggins, and how awesome she was, and how I am so glad that I was able to find these articles both on her and from the period on Porgy and Bess because it was I. To peel back the curtain, I was getting very frustrated. <laughs> yeah. so Just sorry. because I, I wanted to source some of these comments, but a, a lot of them, it was either the journal was out of print, and so it would have been expensive, or... And while we get money from patrons, like, <laughs> I, I don't think that it's yet newspaper.com slash New York Times slash, you know, regular subscriptions yet um <laughs> yeah plus i i don't know i feel like some of that stuff should be available for free but that's me and my anger at putting education behind paywalls <laughs> i agree it's me and my i'm going to write to the person who wrote the paper on x y or z dinosaur so that i can get it from the person because the person who wrote the paper is not getting the money either please sir may i have some knowledge please sir may i have some knowledge please sir it's funny that we're doing this because you haven't seen oliver yet no i haven't oh no i've no no. i've just seen every spoof that's ever been done of Mm -hmm. oliver and oliver and company and oliver and company which is a good adaptation of it, actually. <laughs> like, it's it's not the best adaptation of Oliver, but it's it's pretty decent. It's got the spirit of it. We should we probably... Should, we should go watch some Porgy and Bess. Probably should go watch some Porgy and Bess. Yes. So, let's go. Hey, Kay. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to talk about our favorite people in the whole wide world? It is! Woo! We'd like to thank our stage crew sponsors, Jasmine Wu, Jeff, Tyler McCarty, and Shamik. And our producer circle sponsors, Bianucci, Taylor Brandt, Jesse, and Cookie. Thank you all so much for your continued support of our show. We truly appreciate it. My name is Country Boy from the One Mike Black History Podcast, the Black History Podcast that chronicles little known incidents from African Americans in American history. And this clip is about the origins of Black History Month. Black History Month is the annual celebration of the study and achievements of African Americans. And it was birthed from a time when African Americans weren't being recognized for their central role in American history. Also known as African American History Month, it grew out of Negro History Week, which was the brainchild of black historian Carter G. Woodson in 1915. Carter G. Woodson and prominent minister Jesse E. Moreland founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. This organization was dedicated to researching and promoting the achievements of African-Americans and people of African descent. If you enjoyed this clip and you'd like to learn more, join us at OneMikeHistory.com. Now, 
the lights are going down and the music starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show. Alright, Warren, so what did you think of Porgy and Bess? Immediately, mm-hmm. I noticed the music. It's very good. Yes. Um, one thing, I, I enjoyed this. I It's a tragedy, which I, I don't... Well, it's a tragedy that, like, ends with, like, a, a positive period at the end. It's like... It's a hope spot. Yeah, it's a hope spot. Mm-hmm. I, insert horrible potential sequel here. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at you, Weber. Uh, or... Oh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, it's it's not... Black History Month. We are not <laughs> discussing that man. Especially because I'm supposed to watch what I say. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so, uh, because of how long the opening was for uh, this episode, I'm mm-hmm. going to just go ahead and get on into it. Excellent. So, Immediately, like I said, the first thing I notice is how good the opening music is. It gets me very pumped. It gets me very excited. It just sounds really, really good. And it's act one, and a woman is holding a baby and singing Summertime. I've heard Kay sing this song a number of times, and honestly, I prefer the non-opera version, but that's (laughs) me. I will say that the opera version, every time that I hear it, I go, oh, that's right. It's an opera. (laughs) Because I first heard it with Billie Holiday. Yeah. So, <laughs> so and the way that you sing with Billie Holiday is the way that I like it. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I'll make mention of it later, but I think I like operas better when I don't understand the language that they're singing. It's kind of like <laughs> when you listen to, to anime music or whatever, like J-pop, K-pop, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, and you just kind of vibe on the sound of it. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't understand what's being said. I have kind of the same approach with opera, I think. <laughs> We've learned something today. Anyways, my uncultured swineness aside, <laughs> after this summertime ends, we see some fellas having a good time singing about rolling bones. But you gotta leave your baby at home when you want to roll bones. Which I do agree with. If you are going to a place to gamble, please do not take your small child. Yes. First off, they've got to stand on the right part of the carpet or else they're going to get in trouble. And, you know, the second of all, cigarette smoke, because some places still allow that. And third of all, they're seeing sin. They are seeing sin. Plus, there is a perfectly good arcade in the Excalibur. Are you talking about being taken to Vegas when you were a small child? Yes. <laughs> See, I remember going to Circus Circus, and they have an awesome arcade. At least they did when I was younger. Circus Circus creeped me out too much. Yes, it is very creepy, but they they have a nice amusement park. Okay, anyway. (laughs) A man, a tall man, shows up to roll some bones, but he's pissed because he's broke. From rolling said bones a little too much. He spots the dice that cleaned him out last week, and he says that he won't play in any game where these dirty rotten dice are present. Another guy is singing about how his wife wants him to save money, but he's like, hey, I'm alive now. I want to have a good time now. I might be dead tomorrow, so I'm going to go out with the fellas. And another man makes children fight over a used cotton hook. (laughs) We suddenly go back to the woman singing Summertime while she holds her baby in the men roll bones. 
man who lost all of his money, is husband to woman singing Summertime, and the broke bone roller comes over to his <laughs> wife all, what, that baby isn't asleep yet? Give him to me. I'll fix him. And he scoops up his baby and sings to them. And we learn that daddy's name is Jake. And his and he sings into his baby's face before <laughs> handing them back to the mother and walking away. <laughs> and just in time for the honey man. You know, the man who sells honey. The honey man is here to peddle his sweet, sweet wares. Everyone stops what they're doing to be excited about the arrival of Porgy, who's got a pocket full of... <clears throat> Porgy's got a pocket, got a pocket full of money. He's super happy, gonna roll them bonesies. <laughs> Unless someone shoots Porgy for his money. Fat chance of that. Somebody makes the suggestion that Porgy might be sweet on a woman named Bess. Porgy proceeds to nearly break a man's arm and then sing about how Porgy is not sweet on any woman, because no woman is sweet on Porgy. When God made Porgy, he made him to be alone. Poor oh, Porgy. Oh, man, you really feel for him. I'd uh. give him a hug, but he did just nearly break Jake's arm, so I'll stay here. <laughs> Plus, this is recording, and it's not happening right now. <laughs> Anyways. Everyone gives Porgy sad looks over his sad song about being lonely when the town jerk, Crown, comes in with none other than the Bess. Crown is, I guess, a horrible, drunken gambler in general, not-so-well fellow. He's here to roll some bones, though. Bess is sitting on Crown's lap while he's rolling bones, and I guess he gets a lucky roll, because Bess is like, Well, yeah, I'm a lucky charm. And Crown seems to get real annoyed about Bess even jokingly suggesting that she's a good luck charm or something and then we because it was like a he like throws her off his lap and he's like like yeah. angry, angry gesturing and it's like that seems like a pretty hard you got a pretty lady in your lap and they're like oh yeah you had a good role because I'm your lucky charm you'd be like darn right mm-hmm yeah anyway anyways sport and life that's a fun word to write and try to figure out sport and life <laughs> <sighs> is not a nice guy. Anyways, Sportin' Life comes around, and he's super hyper and excited to roll some bones. But then Porgy joins the game and brings the whole mood down when he loses all of his crowns. But then Crown loses all of his crowns. Crowns? Crowns is a term <laughs> for a thick gold coin in the Wheel of Time. <laughs> I knew it. So Crown loses his money, not Crown's. He didn't name money after himself, mm. nor is he important enough to have monetary things named after him. You suck, Crown. Anyway, Crown loses his money to Robbins, and he's the guy that was like, that told his wife, hey, I want to go out and have a good time. Uh, I might be dead tomorrow. Well, <laughs> you're dead today, because yep. now Crown kills him in a fit of rage after losing his money to him. With a cotton hook. Yeah, kills him with a cotton hook. I mm -hmm. don't think the same cotton hook that the children... It was. It was. It was the Chekhov's cotton hook. It, Chekhov's cotton hook, yes. Yes, the infamous Chekhov's cotton hook. So, people freak out after witnessing a murder and flee, as would be expected. Mm -hmm. Crown also bails, and Bess is left behind. And it looks like she's coming down from her high because she asks Sporty Spice for a hit of the magic dust. 
Sporty tries to talk Bess until... Are you calling him Sporty Spice for this episode? I am calling him Sporty Spice for this episode. Okay, good to know. So... Just wanted to make sure I heard right. He has gone from sporting life to Sporty Spice. Uh, so... Yes, Bess goes after Sporty for a hit of the magic dust. Sporty tries to talk Bess into leaving with him, but she says no. She ain't sunk that low yet. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Anyways, Sporty bails before the cops show up, dead body and all, and Bess, after being denied shelter from everyone apparently in the immediate area, falls to the ground in a sad pile next to Robin's lifeless body. When it comes, when it seems like Bess is ready to just lay down and die in a despair pile, a bright light illuminates from off stage, and Porgy shambles up to Bess, lifts her to her feet, and ushers her off stage with him, in a brilliant golden beam of light. Opera. I, yeah, I was gonna ask, like that is some. I was gonna have to, that have to be the opera because some of the imagery where they tried to like you, you might as well have had like God standing off stage, being like, "Okay, Porgy, go," because the level <laughs> of brilliance that came off of Porgy as he was walking on stage. Yeah, yeah. It was no. just like, "Here is Porgy." <laughs> Porgy saves. <laughs> Porgy saves. The fair maiden. Um, okay. Now, all right. The rest of everyone shows up to retrieve the body of Robbins, and as the mob transitions into a funeral, apparently Robbins was quite loved, but he's gone, 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 and everyone is very sad, sad, sad. And if you look carefully, you can see Robbins' wife with her children, and the look on her face says, I told him to go out gambling. Turns out, they don't have the money to bury Robbins, so they have to start a GoFundMe to pay for it. Mm, well, yeah, that's yeah, what... Yeah, it is GoFundMe. That is exactly what it is. Passing the collection plate around at church for a cause is exactly... It is GoFundMe. Just pre-internet. Pre-internet GoFundMe, <laughs> but Jesus takes... Well, not, Jesus doesn't take a cut off the top, but Jesus is the one. Do it for Jesus. They don't tax the collection, not, not tax the collection. Does the church take a cut off of the collection plate? Does it depend on the church? I don't know. Anyways, that's not the place for I this question. I don't want to try to reminisce what I know about the inner workings of churches, so. So, I will back up a bit. They don't have money to bury Robbins, and they don't want to let the medical students take his body, because apparently that's what happens if you can't pay for a funeral. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Lord is going to fill that saucer until it's overflowing. Enter the one white man who is here to kill this joyful moment by telling Robin's widow that they have to bury the body of her husband by tomorrow or it will be donated to the medical students. Oh, and this random guy over here? I'm deciding that he's the murderer. What? You're not the murderer, but you saw the murderer do the murdering? Well, well, we'll take you with us and lock you up until we catch Crown, who is loose and hiding because he knows that we're looking for him. Well, I guess this old, innocent guy is going to die in prison, waiting to be a witness. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And do you remember the name of that old guy that they haul away? Peter. That's Peter? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an interesting thing. <laughs> the only white people in this don't sing. They are non-singing roles. Oh, you're right. Mm -hmm. And they're all, well, there's a coroner, and then the other ones are cops. Mm-hmm. But yeah. 
yeah, you're right. There are no white people singing. They're just yep. here to be so helpful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yay. And the public servants haul the innocent witness away to prison where he'll be safe. Totally, totally safe. Mm. So everyone at the funeral is even more bummed now, understandably. Mm-hmm. Robin's widow sings about how old man Sorrow is going to be living with her, sitting by the fireplace, laying in her bed next to her. The shade of her husband will follow her around. Ouch. This one kind of hit the mark a little bit. Yes, it did. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it hit the mark a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good song, but, um, you know, uh, we lost somebody recently, and it's it's that kind of song saying you're going to see the shade of them everywhere you go because they were in your life everywhere you went. Yeah. It, so it's... It hit square in the heart. Yep. Bullseye. Well played, Porgy. Wait, wait, wait. Not... Uh, Gershwin. Thank you. Gershwin. Yeah. Thanks, Gershwin. Thanks, Gershie. <laughs> okay. Hey, word. <laughs> Jerks. Yeah, this whole song kind of hit the mark. Yeah. So Robbins's widow collapses on the floor in a sorrow pile, and my spirit joins her. Mm-hmm. So the funeral guy, the funeral home guy, comes in to be like, "Hey, you raised fifteen dollars, but that's not enough. You gotta, <laughs> you got to pay if you want him buried." And Robin's widow makes a deal with him, saying that she will pay him even if she she will pay him every cent that she owes. Just please bury him. Don't let the medical students slice and scatter poor Robbins. Which I find out his name later. What was it again? His uh, first name? Robbins? Uh, they just have him go by Robbins. Oh, it is just Robbins? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because I remember later, I refer to her as Robbins Widow, but they call her Selena later. Yes, Serena. Serena. Serena, Selena. Let's cut the L out. Uh, <laughs> add an R. Let's play substitution. Uh, substitute. <laughs> Yes. So <laughs> she agrees that she will pay him every single cent if he'll just basically let her make payments. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, I'm going to go to work because he's dead. I promise I'll pay you. Just bury my husband. And he agrees. And everyone praises Jesus. The entire funeral service breaks into song and dance, rejoicing about how they'll see their brother again in heaven. The stage is cleared and the lights darkened. The scene transitions to Jake, who is singing to a kid, who is helping him with a fishing net. And Jake sings about how... How it will take a long pull to get there, but I'll anchor in the promised land. And I kind of like the imagery of it. Mm-hmm. Like the promised land is this sunken island. It's like like you're going to pull Atlantis out of the ocean, you know, yeah. and, and it'll be this promised land. It's got a, a good, a powerful imagery to it. Yeah, I, I will say, even though these are not all actual spirituals, and I do feel like Gershwin should have used some real ones. Absolutely. They, he does a good job capturing different genres of them. It's, he, it's, it still it's, is powerful poetic yeah. imagery. Yeah. Even he, if it's not authentic. I guess what I should say, it's not that he does a good job capturing like the full essence of the genre, but it's very much like, okay, I can tell what he's trying to reference, even if it's not hitting the mark exactly because again it is yeah it's it's slight uncanny valley <laughs> it, you're gonna say you can tell an effort was made yes and you appreciate that given the time that it was done mm. an effort was made <laughs> yes because it could have been a whole lot worse more of an effort could have been made but also significantly less of an effort mm-hmm. could have been made so mm-hmm. 
So uh, Jake's wife, Clara, is uh, sing mentioning to her husband that uh, there's storms that are, you know, this time of year. Maybe don't go fishing. And Jake is like, who's going to put this kid through college? The fish will. But I got to catch him and make him tell me where the gold is. <laughs> that last part may only be partially accurate. Um, so Jake goes to talk to Porgy, who uh, seems to be in a relationship with Bess, who's living with him in sin. And yeah, doing cleaning stuff. But the neighbor ladies are like, she's up to something. Sporty Spice shows up again to deal his happy dust, but Mariah ain't having any of that out in front of her shop, and she blows that happy dust away, much to the dismay of Sporty, who's like, Hey, hey, that stuff costs money! <laughs> and what's great is Mariah is the one contralto part. Yes, because you're a contralto. Yes, yeah. so one of those, like, that's the one part I could play <laughs> in this, because everything else, else is way out of my range. Mm-hmm. Also, it's funny. It's spelled Maria, That's but it's how, pronounced uh, Mariah, and it always throws me off uh-huh. because, you know, half it, well, not half, part Italian. Mm-hmm. I see Maria, not Mariah. I mean, how do you the solve I, a problem like Mariah? The I does not make that noise. <laughs> yeah. And that's the same gripe that I have with paint your wagon. That's not how you spell it. <laughs> well, like, I was going to call her Maria, but mm-hmm. when we were watching it the other night, and then they said Mariah, yeah. and I was like, oh, okay, note to self, don't pronounce it Maria. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, uh, but yeah, after Mariah tells uh, 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 Sporty Spice to get lost and blows his dust away, so he tries to schmooze Mariah, saying that the two of them should be friends. Mariah tells him to get lost, or one of these nights, when he's drunk and stumbling around, she's gonna get him and describes a bunch of unpleasant things that she's gonna do to him. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I, you know, I I can't repeat here. Yeah. I can't. No. It's too graphic. It is. (laughs) Sporty pees himself and runs away from Mariah, good call, uh, who's got a good laugh from everyone else. A guy shows up looking for Bess, and Porgy is like, You mean my Bess? Not Crown's Bess. And the guy is like, Well, Bess is married to Crown, and she can't be with Porgy unless she gets a divorce. And the man says that it will cost a dollar. They're, they proceed to ask Bess questions like, Name? Age? Time married to Crown? And then it comes out that she's not actually married to Crown, mm-hmm. so she can't get a divorce or something. Yeah. Anyways, it would be a dollar fifty to divorce a woman who isn't married. Sounds like a bargain to me. Oh, that that scene was opera. Like, just let's have this little musical tangent to have some fun. Yeah, I will agree with that. Uh, cause this was this show was two hours and thirty something minutes. It was yeah, almost two hours and forty minutes. There were uh a good number of what I would call slice of life moments, and that's yes. exactly what you're describing. Just these people occupying this world kind of just having something going on that isn't corely central to the plot necessarily yeah but it does kind of give more background yes anyways porgy pays the man and gets the divorce paper for bess 
Porgy is super happy to have Bess in his life, but that happiness also makes him fear death. Because now he has this good thing, and he's afraid of losing it. So he sings at the buzzard of death and tells them to keep on flapping! Yeah, there's... And it's it's not as well... Like, a literal buzzard flies over. Oh. Because it's... It, and buzzards and crows and ravens, if they land on your house, then that's considered bad luck. Someone's going to die in that house sort of thing. So that's what the whole song is about, is that superstition, which shows up in so many different cultures. But Rather than the bird might just want to be sitting there for a moment mm-hmm. and you know but you know what a hundred percent of the people that birds land on the houses of will die In- this is true true yeah true see so yeah they're emissaries of death you just don't know when <laughs> yeah it's boy though that song of porgies is a mood <laughs> it's a it's a it's a change because everything is all light and happy and everything's mm. going well and then he's just like <gasps> i'm worried bad things are gonna happen because i love you yeah, and uh, I, I just mean as a person with an anxiety disorder, oh. that song, yes, in my head, 24-7. Y- yes, because you live by the philosophy of when is the other shoe going to drop? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were like, there is a booby trap around every corner. Something is going to go wrong any everything's, moment. Everything's going okay right now. Something's going to happen. Which is why I constantly try to sneak up on Kay and scare him, just so that they can be like, okay... That was the bad thing that was going to happen. And it's good for now. I, 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 I enable Kay. So the scene changes to Bess sitting by herself at a table when everyone's favorite happy dust peddling lowlife, Sporty, who's trying to get Bess to leave with him and enjoy the high life again, shows up. Bess tells him no and to go away. Sporty tries to lure Bess to him with his happy dust again, but Bess has been clean and is trying to stay that way. But Sporty keeps on attempting her. Luckily, Porgy comes in and grabs Sporty before throwing him and telling him to stay away from Bess. Porgy threatens to break Sporty's neck if he comes around again trying to peddle happy dust to Bess. Sporty laughs and mocks Porgy, being all, <laughs> How is your cripple gonna break my neck? And then he antagonizes Porgy into chasing him, but Porgy trips and falls. Sporty leaves the scene, and Porgy and Bess get to see a different couple, which I believe was Jake and Clara. Right? Yeah. Was it Jake and Clara? I believe okay. so. They were in completely different clothing, and I didn't recognize them at first, and I was like, I think that's Jake and Clara. So, who clothing are Clothing blindness. Who are in matching... Well, that's the thing. He's in, like, he's got his shoulders bare and stuff like that, and he just, he's all manly and muscular looking, and she's in a blue dress, and then they completely change their hair and put them in different clothes, and I'm like, okay, are these the same people? Anyway, anyway. <laughs> yeah, Jake and Clara who are in matching yellow outfits and happy that they left their baby at home so that they could go to a picnic. <laughs> Which I just, they don't say, I, I know the baby was left with somebody. I mm-hmm. know the baby wasn't just left unattended. Yeah. They don't say <laughs> who they left the baby with. Probably so, with Porgy. <laughs> well, we don't ever see that, though, because we have the whole scene with Porgy True. being like, oh, but anyway, anyway. But yeah, so the, I just picture these kids, they're just like, Tell their kids, bye! <laughs> and they just leave, and the kid's like, I want to go to a big bit. We'll go to San Francisco. I guess we'll bring the kid. <laughs> we can bring the two kid, too, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> yeah. 
I go to the picnic. Porgy tries to tell Bess to go enjoy the picnic, even though he can't, because it's on a boat and accessibility reasons and all. But Bess is like, no, I want to stay with you. And the two sing about how much they love each other and how they want to be around each other in the morning, in the evening, in the summertime, in the wintertime. And it's pretty sweet. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty sweet. I, I liked it. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a softie and I like that part. Mm -hmm. uh, Repent, saith the Lord, says this big banner. It turns, <laughs> turns out the picnic is a church picnic and people are freaking excited. Let me tell you, dear listener. There's cakewalking. Uh -huh. There's more cakewalking. Uh-huh. There's lots of people in bright colors enjoying we, a picnic. We need to bring back cakewalks. <laughs> I mean, I walk to get cake. I don't have it delivered. Anyways, Mariah tries... an episode about this like two years ago. <laughs> I know. I remember cakewalking. I like cakewalking. Anyways, Maria, Mariah tries to tempt Bess to come to the picnic and is successful, even after the last bit we just had with her being like, oh, I don't want to go to the picnic. I want to stay here with you, Porky. Oh, wait, is that? No one told me that I get to wear a fancy hat and a new dress if I go to the picnic. Never mind, Porky. Bye. I want to wear a fancy hat, so I'm leaving you. I'm going to the picnic. Okay, love you. Bye. He also does tell her, though, that... I want you to be happy and to like being here, Bess. And... I know. <laughs> but just it just makes me laugh the dynamic of being like, no, no, I'm not going to go. I'm going to mm -hmm. stay here with you. And then as soon as swag comes into the equation, <laughs> Bess is just like, oh, man, a hat and a dress. I am there. Man. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, nothing against Bess. She she is you know, an imperfect person with mm. her own shortcomings, just like every other human. She's 20, which, having been 20, we're, it, 20 is not smart. I 20 don't know is, if she actually is 20. I figured, she is. Is she? There's a joke in there where... Well, I know uh, that when, when they're doing the questionnaire, she says she's 20, and they're mm. like, no way, yeah. she's 30, if anything. Yeah, no, she's she's implied to be a kid. Which, not kid but, but young, like, young which implies so if if people are saying if she is 20 and people are saying she looks 30 yeah she's she's lived hard she's lived a hard life yeah, yeah. is what the implication is is gotcha i didn't i thought it was a tip i not, shouldn't say typical i thought it was a stereotypical situation of a woman lying about her age so yeah. that she could appear younger no it's it's a comment on the comment fact that on... happy dust is destroying her because mm -hmm. this is this is anti-drug it's go to church it's <laughs> pro god anti-drug pro murder because that comes in later again there's a lot of murder in this <laughs> well there's a lot of death but there's two murders two murders yeah yeah that's a lot of murder for a <laughs> two murders and some happy dust two murders and some happy dust i guess it's not a that's lot the name of, of the episode <laughs> maybe <laughs> It's a lot of murders for a American opera, maybe. I, I don't know. I always think of German operas with The Ring, which has so much death. Which, that's when he says, like, a five-day-long mm, opera, right? It's a long opera. It's, it's multiple. watch. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we totally can someday. Yeah, do a marathon. It'll be an event. Anyways, mm -hmm. that is neither here nor there. Thank you again for joining us for Tangent, the podcast. Um, <laughs> back to our regu regularly scheduled notes in my hand <laughs> <laughs> 
So Bess bails on Porgy for a hat and a dress, and Porgy is like, I'm fine. She'll have fun, and she'll be back. But I'm fine I here plenty of alone and by myself. Plenty for me. Just me. I crippled Porgy. Got my gal. No, he doesn't. She Got went. She my... went. She went on a boat to a picnic <laughs> because they dangled a hat in front of her, and she went, "Ooh, hat!" Surprise! Crown has been hiding on the island that the picnic is going to be taking place on. But the picnic goers are unaware that their party island is inhabited with a murderer. Mm. The church picnic is full of church things, like letting the spirit take you and falling down. Other stuff. (coughs) Baptisms Uh, and stuff. Yeah. Anyways, a preacher man shows up to talk about different Bible stories, but uh, this guy seems off. I think he's Sporty Spice in disguise, or at least the same actor playing a different character. But one of the characters seems to be watching this preacher very closely and is like... (laughs) Like pointing at others, hey, do you like? Do you, is that is that the drug guy? And people are like, ha, ha, oh no, that's Mister Sporty Preacher. He claps his hands and makes happy Jesus dust. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know if this preacher is Sporty McHappy Dust or not. But one lady is mad that people are listening to this preacher and his Sodom and Gomorrah vibes. Anyways, she yells for all the children of the devil to get on the boat and go back home. Yep, it is. Uh, it is sporty spice, sporting okay. life. Okay, it is sporting life. Yes, and good. <laughs> uh, the song. It's funny. I I really like the song, but it's also one of those things that, at the time, especially there was kind of a, why are we having this juxtaposed with a church service and having people get swayed <laughs> by sporty. Sporting life. Now I'm calling him Sporty Spice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you can call him Sporty Life. Because <laughs> it, it it did kind of, for the time, perpetuate more stereotypes of, oh, black people just want to gamble and blah, 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 blah. And so that was actually like a thing that people complained about with it. Fair. Because yeah, that's fair. It, at the time, that was the main stereo. One of the main stereotypes that you were seeing was, oh, well, even the church services aren't going to be blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because I also really like the song for just the way that it sounds. And... I want to, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, Gershwin did reference a uh, Jewish song with that mm-hmm. in the, in the modalities in it, in the music, the, it ain't necessarily so, um, that part comes from, ah, I wish I could remember what it was off the top of my head, but it was. I don't know. It's it's interesting to hear the other influences in the work. Did you say modality? Modality. Modality. Yes. Modality. Okay, because it sounded like medley, but medleyality or something. And then, of course, my brain went, like, this sounds like a fatality that a musician would do in a Mortal Kombat, where it's like a musical finisher. Medality. But anyway, my insanity aside thank you for that bit yes all right so all the devil children are told to get on the boat and go back home Bess gets left behind and is confronted by crown who is like surprise bet you didn't expect me and Bess is like yeah uh 
how have you survived here? Feral, feral crown is like, I eat bird eggs and clams and I kill deer with my teeth. And Bess is like, this might be a bad time to mention this, but I'm leaving you for Porgy. And I love him. And I'm living a decent life. And Crown is like, ha, 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 smack. And he Mm -hmm. throws Bess to the ground. Crown starts crawling all over Bess all creepily. And she's having moments of, oh, right, I do like his chest and his arms. But I've been with him for five years and he treats me like crap. So she's got her damage for sure she's Mm -hmm. in a highly abusive and dysfunctional relationship yeah uh and so she's just like oh when he grabs me and blah and she's liking that and Mm -hmm. it's no bueno no and crown is like you're my woman for as long as i want you and no cripple is gonna take my woman from me and Bess is like yeah nah i'm with porgy let me go you jerk and crown is like nope you're staying right here. And he grabs Bess, throws her over his shoulder, and uh, takes Bess into the thicket. Yep. End act one. Yep. Open act two. The people are eating breakfast. Yay! This is a Jingle the Keys moment. <laughs> like, a little bit, yeah. Like, ignore what just happened. We're all having pancakes now. <laughs> together breakfast everyone let's (laughs) smile and be happy Uh so people are eating breakfast and getting ready to start the work day people comment that it looks like it's going to storm but jake has a wife and a child to provide for so the man must fish tell jake where the gold is you dang dirty fish (laughs) (laughs) oh boy (laughs) This this white boy is not meant to try and have a deep voice. (laughs) Anyways, Bess is not doing so well. She's very upset, but she's back with Porgy, asleep in his cot. The story fed to people is that Bess got lost at the picnic and had to find her way back. Took two days. And she's traumatized and sick with fever from the event. On a positive note, the dude who was wrongfully arrested was released unharmed, so that's good anyways robin's widow offers to pray over bess because the force is strong with her i guess porgy's friends gather around and do a super prayer for bess the super prayer is concluded and robin's widow who i have not (laughs) who i have not retained the name of but it's serena yes Serena tells Porgy that Bess will be better by five o'clock because that's when Jesus gets the prayers in his inbox and sorts his (laughs) miracles by the day. (laughs) She's oddly specific. She's like, oh, she'll be right by five. Like, uh, like, do you see Jesus's weekly punch card for his miracles? Like, how many... Is he, is he a nine-to-fiver? Like, what is it? Will he, will he scramble through his inbox to get through the daily quota? Like, peel back the veil and let us let us mortals know. <laughs> so, meanwhile... Oh, wait, wait, wait. So... Meanwhile, a woman sings very passionately about some strawberries, all while she gives free samples to people. Another person shows up talking about food he sells and hands out devil she-crabs out of a barrel. I would not eat something that someone called a devil demon cake. (laughs) If someone was like, do you want this devil she-crab? I'd be like, no. 
What and about devil's food wh- cake? Why does it matter that the crab is a girl either? Like, why is it devil she crab? Why is it not devil crab? I don't want devil crab. That implies it's chocolate crab. Because think about devil's food cake. Okay? KK? De- devil's... Uh, deviled eggs. I also don't like devil eggs. Oh, yeah. I like them. <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're deviled. They're not devil. There's a difference. <laughs> Anyways, time flies when you're selling strawberries and devil she crabs. <laughs> it's suddenly five o'clock and Bess was healed. Her miracle was first in Jesus's inbox. <laughs> Bess is pretty much like, oh, I feel horrible. How long have I been sick? And Porgy is like, a week. You were missing for two days and you came back all wackadoo, but you're better now. Oh, by the way, I know you were with Crown, but it's okay. I'm very understanding. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much how it goes. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, Porgy is pretty much like, you can be with whoever you want so long as you come home to me. It's <laughs> yeah, kind of his just, attitude, which uh, is like, oh, Porgy. Porgy, Porgy you are no. too good for this world. Porgy, even though you deserve better than that. He really does. He's too good for this world. Like, yeah. You and, know the whole cinnamon roll thing? Underneath that, it should be, example, porgy. You know, I think a good way to say that, like, is just refer to someone as a porgy. Oh, they're a porgy. And you'd be mm-hmm. like, just a big, a sweet person, you know? Yeah, a sweet uh, person who doesn't deserve mm-hmm. what is going on. Uh, porgy would be synonymous with with a, a tragedy like uh, Oedipus. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Bess also agrees that uh, porgy deserves better because she's like, I'm not worthy to be with a good man like you. I'm horrible, and I deserve to be with someone as horrible as me. Crown has a way to hypnotize me. Porgy picks up a knife and asks Bess, hypothetically, if Crown was dead, would Bess stay? And Bess is like, if Crown was dead, Bess would stay. And Porgy's like, Crown will die. (laughs) Porgy pretty much tells Bess to hang tight. He's going to handle Crown. However, I know this is going to go sideways. Mm-hmm. Porgy and Bess hug and make up. Clara wanders into the scene and is staring out into the water. It's black, a bad omen. And Mariah tries to tell Clara she's got nothing to worry about. But Clara's like, I'm a new mother, and my fisherman husband went out during a storm season to earn extra money to put our child through college. And now... Crap has hit the fan. And everybody rushes down to the storm shelter, probably in the church, and they all start praying to Dr. Jesus and Captain Jesus. I'm waiting for Butcher (laughs) Jesus, Baker Jesus, and Candlestick Maker Jesus. Gotta collect them all. (laughs) The new sanctified savior line from Mattel. Holier than thou, you can hold in your hands. Anyways, uh, people are... (laughs) People are scared, cause hurricane, obviously, and they're done praying and on to singing. Well, sing praying. Still praying, but more singing about how, please, God, don't let us all die in this basement. That would really suck. Thanks. (laughs) The sing praying is halted as Clara sings summertime and the rest of the shelter seekers watch on. Lord, have mercy on our souls as they all cry. They all cry as a crack of thunder shakes the scene. A hurled, the huddled masses then start singing about someone knocking at the door. And someone an old man like, yeah, someone's knocking at the door. And the old man's like, death, 
death is knocking at the door. And he's losing his mind. And he's like, we're all going to die. And the extra fear is because he can't hear. <laughs> oh, he can't? He's deaf? Like, he's mostly deaf. That's the comment that they oh, make. Is I that, missed that. Okay. Yeah, that something must be up if so he's hearing be. something. If the deaf dog is freaking out, <laughs> we must be in trouble. There are a lot of <laughs> things that are sung in this that remind you it's the 30s. Yeah. So death is knocking at the door and they're all going to die. And well, they don't want it to be that. And the others tell the old man to shut up. But they ask God that if the knocking at the door is death, don't please don't let him in. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Suddenly, who should enter the scene but Crown here to get Bess and sweep her off her feet like the charming prince from a fairy tale that he is. (gasps) Just kidding. He's here to belittle her in front of everyone and tell her to come back with him. Because that's healthy. Bess Uh. says no, and that she's with Porgy now. And Crown heckles Porgy. Crown goes over to Sporty and gets some happy dust. Crown heckles the shelter seekers as the storm rages on outside, telling God to drown them all out and not let them sing. Crown then sings his own song about red-headed women and how they drive men wild. So I do think that they are in the church, yeah, church shelter, because especially that's his thing is they're praying and they're asking God, God, you know, please keep us safe. And he's taunting their faith by coming in and basically talking about, you know, uh, uh, women, you know, yeah. just, Ooh, I love a redheaded woman, mm-hmm. drive a man wild. So that's what he's doing. The new hymn is cut short by, by Mariah. No, wait, Martha? Is there a Martha? No. Okay. I misspelled Mariah. <laughs> Okay, the new hymn is cut short by Mariah running in to scream that Jake's boat is upside down. Clara shrieks in horror and hands Bess her baby before running out of the room. The shelter seekers watch outside in horror as Clara and Jake struggle to reach one another against the thrashing waves before succumbing to the hurricane's might and sinking into the depths. It is really well done on stage. Yes. Remarkably well done on stage. How yes. I, I, I don't know the rigging that they had involved, but the way that they worked the light was perfectly from above as to obscure any kind of uh, rigging they might have or anybody who's holding them up yeah because they look suspended in darkness but they had a good shimmer effect going on to really simulate water yeah it's dark because it's a storm and you have them just slowly just reaching for each other reaching just getting close and they start to sink down lower and lower and it's just Mm -hmm. probably one of the worst moments for the story because this couple is dead now Mm -hmm. but Boy, is it done well. Yes. (laughs) It might be just, I don't know, that type of imagery, the way that it was done. I don't know how many underwater scenes we've actually seen in shows that we've watched. Not very many. Yeah. Well, this one set the bar. (laughs) It's kind of what I have to put that comment is it was really well done. And uh, it's it's kind of an odd thing to focus on, but it really... Made me feel, I it guess. It was striking. It was striking. Yeah. And and it helps that throughout this whole show, you're seeing this idyllic couple. They're very sweet. Yes. Jake is a loving husband who is nice to his... Like, they, they do have the, uh, I would say, 30s approved banter kind yeah. of thing that you would expect. Yeah. But there's love. Like, it's he's not like, ugh, hate my wife and now I'm saddled with this kid. He's yeah. like, I will do everything i can mm-hmm. to provide for these people that i love yes 
So that's why, that's how it makes it so just yeah. punch in the heart. <laughs> it, it hurts. Both of them. I don't like it. And I don't like that I predicted that he was a dead man early on. Yeah. Like, I was but just did like, you predict Clara? No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I was expecting the single mother kind of thing to happen, like that she loses her husband in a storm. Now she's got to raise this child by herself. It's worse than that. <laughs> yes. Yes. This child loses both their parents and now it gets to be raised by somebody else the the kindness of a stranger to take this child into their home mm-hmm. it's a scary situation i mean it sounds like you know what we've seen in the show though they're a tight-knit community yeah so it's not like they were just gonna let this baby die no like, it's, there would have been multiple people being like i will take the baby yeah it's it's it takes a village mm-hmm. and yeah. it's it's the way that community is for uh a lot of us that pulling through in a tragedy yeah you pull through in a tragedy and like it do- it doesn't matter if you can verify that you are blood that doesn't uh-uh. matter well it's- and yeah and the kind of what you're talking about too it, it reminds me of uh the the that people if things go wrong, if there's a breakdown in the system, people help each other. Yes. And that's the important thing. There's a tragedy, something really mm. bad happened. People band together to try and help. Yes. And that's what's important. We, yeah. That, we, that I think that uh, this show does a good job of showing, too. Yes, it the does. The way that they band together after. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes. So, the storm passes, and the people mourn the devastation and the loss of Jake and Clara. The town folk take the boxed, newly unweds, because... <sighs> Till death do you part. Oh my god. I mean, okay, if you die at the same time, do you really part? Because wouldn't you just, like, be behind one another in line at the pearly gates? Anyways, this is neither here nor there. (laughs) The service ends, and Martha... Martha, I did it again. Marie, Mariah, finds Forty Spice, who's drinking out of a flask and stumbling about. Mariah succeeds in driving off spot... Spotty, sporty, and Bess comes out, holding Clara's baby and singing Summertime. So she has taken that role that Clara had at the, yeah. the beginning of the show. Yeah. Mariah made a comment to Sporty about Crown being dead, but he's not dead. He's slinking around while Bess is singing Summertime. And after she's done singing and people leave, Crown descends to snatch up Bess and leave. But Porgy ain't having any of that, and he comes out to fight off Crown. An epic battle ensues. Crown takes Porgy's crutch and breaks it and tries to choke Porgy with it. Bess smacks Crown from behind, and Porgy pulls a knife and stabs Crown, who falls to the floor and is finished off by Porgy, who laughs and laughs over Crown's dead body, yelling, You got a man now! You got Porgy! Ha! Ha 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 ha! And because everyone hated Crown, the rest of the town comes in and just disposes of the body and cleans up the mess. Good riddance. Yep. But a murder happens, so Johnny Law has to come around and be like, Hey, Serena Robbins, Crown is dead. He killed your husband. You're a suspect. What's your alibi? And Robin's widow is like, I've been super <coughs> duper <coughs> sick. And her sisters are like, yeah, it's true. We've been here the whole time nursing her for three days. Bam. Porgy comes in. All, I'm here to help with the investigation, officers. And once they find out that he knew Crown and can ID him, they're like, okay, take him. He's going to ID the body as a witness. Mm -hmm. And Porgy is like, oh, oh no, I can't look at a dead body. Especially not one that I made from scratch. (laughs) 
but the cops haul him off anyways. <laughs> While Bess is alone, Sporty pops back in to be like, Come on, come with me, baby. I got the good stuff. And Bess holds the baby. Bess holding the baby is like, No, not happy dust. I want none of that. Then moments later, she shoves the baby into Sporty's arms and takes the dust. Uh, entering her drugged state, Bess just limps around and slumps on stage while Sporty sings about how he'll treat her to the high life and buy her nice dresses and take her to fancy places and give her plenty of happy dust to keep the smiles flowing. And part of it, too, is he's basically telling her, oh, Porgy's gonna go away. He might be gone for a year. He might be gone for two. They may hang him. And she's in such a state that it's easy for her to just Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, we're just speculating on the fragile mindset of somebody who's got a severe addiction issue and mm -hmm. trauma bonding yeah. to, to uh, incredibly abusive people. So mm. it's... it's They yeah. do a... The actress that played her... Great actress. Uh, she did a really good job, though, showing that conflict. She that did a very good job. you could tell what was behind Bess's actions. It wasn't like it was just oh whatever oh i'm frivolous it was you could see just the i am now at the lowest i've ever been and i'm gonna just give it up to happy dust because that's it, the <clears throat> only thing that has worked in the past yeah you, you know that's the thing is that i understand that she's an incredibly damaged person who's, mm -hmm. who's got you know uh uh Acceptable, susceptible to manipulation yeah. to an extent. And yeah, it's just, it sucks that she's in that situation and I mm -hmm. feel bad for her. But. Yeah, it's, whew, it's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> this, this show gets heavy. It definitely. For, especially for the 30s. Yeah, it definitely deals with heavy subject matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, death, drug addiction, you mm -hmm. know, just, it, but anyway. Sporty finishes his song and Bess snaps out of the trance, calling Sporty a rattlesnake and running into a room and slamming the door. Sporty cackles and slides another hit of happy dust under the door and waits. Moments later, Bess bursts through the door, extra drugged, and follows Sporty. Mm -hmm. The next scene shows people going about their daily business, and kids playing jump the rope and hop em scotch, while adults <laughs> sit in chairs. People get excited as Porgy arrives back from home, back home from his interrogation. Everyone rushes to give Porgy hugs before taking seats. Porgy laughs about the interrogation process and how he said he would not look at Crown's face. <laughs> but all joking aside, Porgy's got a surprise for Bess. Sweet, sweet Bess. And everyone gets somber because they know that Bess has left. Porgy feels the mood drop and is like, geez, who abandoned a baby for a drug dealer? Porgy then sees Serena with Jake. Clara sees Serena's uh, with the Jake Clara Bess baby and is like, wait, that's Bess's baby. Where's Bess? And Mariah is like, ain't we tell you all along, Porgy? That woman ain't right for you. Porgy falls to the ground and starts to cry. Where's my Bess? Why won't anyone tell me what's going on? And Serena and Mariah proceed to tell Porgy and tell Porgy that Bess threw Mr. Dr. Captain Jesus out of her heart and went back to the happy dust. Mr. And Dr. Captain Jesus. 
And they, when they were all thinking they're going to die, they called Jesus by some interesting titles. And they both <laughs> proceed to tell him that Bess was a, was no good hanging around here and that he's sure to find a better woman. If she was worthy of Porgy, she wouldn't have left. It gets slipped to Porgy that Bess went a thousand miles away to New York City. And Porgy is like, bring my crutch. I'm going to New York. Porgy falls to the ground and begs God to help him find Bess. Mariah brings Porgy his crutch, and Porgy starts to sing that he's on his way, on his way to a happy land, and he'll ride that long, long road. Porgy ambles out of the room as the music swells, and everyone wishes Porgy good luck on his journey to New York. And that's where it ends. Where Porgy 2 will start off. Oh no. Porgy out of his element and on the road to New York <laughs> to find his true love who has been whisked away by a smooth criminal with happy dust. Along the way, Porgy will meet a ragtag band of misfits all headed to New York for different reasons. Oh, no. One wants to see the Chrysler building. <laughs> Another wants to be a Wall Street millionaire. And the last one wants to see the Statue of Liberty. The ragtag band will face all numbers of challenges like stairs and a healthcare <laughs> system that punishes those born with disabilities oh, or require God. special assistance. Watch as Porgy gets sidetracked on his journey by a civil rights lawyer who sees Porgy as their big break of a case and attempts to dissuade <laughs> Porgy from their quest by promising money from lawsuits. Porgy will skyrocket to success as an advocate for the disabled, but will Porgy let the sudden fame of the Big Apple go to his head, or will he snap of the, out of the big city lights and remember why he came to New York in the first place. <laughs> Find out next time on Porgy 2, Porgy in the Big City, coming sometime, probably <laughs> not. The end. <laughs> <laughs> My throat hurts. <laughs> So yeah, Porgy and Bess kind of ends on not a super happy note, but no. kind of inspirational. But really, it's it's the part one of what would probably be a part two, but really would end up being a part three because Hollywood loves part threes and that's always how it happens. <laughs> so Porgy the Trilogy. <sighs> Contact the Gershwin estate. I think we have a great idea. No. <laughs> What's the matter, Kay? Don't you have faith in me? <laughs> uh, so, I, I enjoyed this. It was uh, uh, dramatic, and mm -hmm. I don't necessarily like tragedies, mm -hmm. but I guess it's also, like it, 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 like we said, it ends with that little bit of a whoop going up at the end. Yeah. You know, to launch into Porgy 2. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I don't think I'm just a huge fan of operas in general. Yeah. When we did Joey Baloney, that was in that wasn't in English, right? Correct. Remember, okay. There were there were spoken English words because yes, it was sort no of their bridges. Yeah. 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 Stuff like that. Because I remember, I just think back because I really liked that. Mm -hmm. But I think it goes back to the it was in French, and so I didn't have to pay attention to the words. I could just listen to the beautiful music and the singing and read what they were saying. Mm -hmm. uh, when it's done in English, 
I can't hear what they're singing, like, at all. <laughs> I really can't. <laughs> it is so hard, especially mm. when a lot of them had really deep voices, mm -hmm. and they would have really strong inflections of certain words, and it would just, if I didn't have subtitles, this would have been a, Kay is going to tell you what the heck we just watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't know, it's also... It's a little odd sometimes to hear some songs being sung in a classical opera style. I don't know. Um, like, the singing is beautiful. Oh, I, everybody in it is amazing. I, granted, I'm also not the biggest fan of classical singing because I got trained in it <laughs> by someone who didn't think contraltos exist. Mm -hmm. So um, Not bitter at all. Yeah, not bitter at all. Um <laughs> But, but like, I feel like, uh, I don't know how best to describe it, because even though the singing is done really well, it does feel weird because of the lack of authenticity from the writing. And that's, it feels artificial. But, yeah. you know, and that's, it's, it's one of those interesting things it gets into, because it's like, how do you, how do you... How do you dissect it and then quantify it to determine what really is the piece that doesn't quite fit? Because it comes into a situation of, of you know, it feels kind of not genuine. It kind of feels like it, mm -hmm. it, it is a show. It's not quite a story. You know, it feels like it's a production. It doesn't feel like it's real. But yeah. that also, I think, is just a, a, a reason why opera isn't as popular now as say theater mm -hmm. i think it was a, a natural evolution for theater for musical theater to go the way it did and be less opera it's one of those uh shows that when i examine it individually based on its parts it just it checks stuff and it does it well you know i yes. feel like each individual component mm -hmm. you i would score it really well but just as a whole while i enjoyed it i don't think i would ever i would ever be like oh hey let's watch this again yeah it just isn't my my thing mm -hmm. and i i think that it's also uh i can see the complaints from opera critics about folk opera like this being a folk opera because it does kind of have the issue of i don't know what kind of opera i am yeah it has a bit of an identity crisis yeah and i th i i sit here and i go i wonder if i i want to see more black written operas about the black experience we have an opera that's about black people but it's not written mm -hmm. by black people by people who have experienced these things so it just feels it's uncanny valley yeah. it's like you're looking at a mirror but everything's off to the left or it's, to the yeah, right. Things it's are not, not quite right. It doesn't quite yeah. line up, doesn't quite add up, it doesn't reflect quite right. You just can't help but look at it and go, stuff's there, but it's off. Yeah. Like I I would hesitate to say that this is completely problematic because for the time coming from non black people, this was uh, this was good for the time coming from non-black people. We could have gotten way worse. Mm -hmm. We could have gotten Al Jolson as Porgy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could have gotten blackface. Yeah, and we could have, like, some of the stuff, yeah, there's, 
I I can agree with Hal Johnson and with uh, Ann Wiggins uh, Ann Wiggins Brown's father a bit about it, but I also can see they tried. But again, it's just that issue of if you're not part of the group, you probably shouldn't write about it unless you have someone there to consult you every step of the way for yeah. Yeah. Yeah, someone to check you. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise it comes off weird. Yeah, and I would say that it was probably done everything with the best intentions and yeah. all of that, but just it's, it's absolutely a product, product of its time, you know, still good, not, mm-hmm. not um, I don't know, not amazing, but, yeah. but good. It's, it, without the authenticity, it does feel weird. Without the authenticity of actually experiencing experiencing being black being poor and black it it doesn't feel right huh anyway i'm gonna hop off my soapbox here (laughs) you're on a yoga ball as a chair my yoga box (laughs) soap yoga so uh yeah this is a long episode we had a lot we had a lot to say about this yes this is a show that has a lot to be said about it. Mm-hmm. It's got a, a history and, and a present, and we talked about it. We did yes, the thing. Yes, we did the thing. It's very important for black theater history. Hey, Kay. Yes. What's the next show that's important for black theater history? So the next show is going to be another one that was in my emergency case. Mm-hmm. And this is another one not written by black people. This is written by Aran and Flaherty who we covered with Ragtime last year. Um, I love Ragtime, but I also have Ragtime. They also did Seussical, so... (laughs) So what you're saying is... They have a range. They have range. That was good. Um, Range is good. But we are going to be doing a show that they did that is based off of a book by Rosa Guy, who I will be talking about. It might be Rosa Gee now that I'm thinking of it. We'll be doing a show that is very near and dear to my heart. It's, I've been in it twice, once with a youth group where there were three black actors, including myself, and the rest were white, which was very interesting. And the other time was with a very large professional, well, semi-professional at the time, theater that uh, got some interesting reactions for putting on this show. We are going to be doing Once on this Island. I have heard you talk and reference and allude to this show so much. Mm-hmm. So I am excited to finally get to see it. Yes, and I found a version that's done by the American Theater of San Jose, which we've awesome. seen before. Yeah, they're great. Yes, they are one of my favorites. Um So we will be watching their production of Once on this Island. I am very excited for you to finally see this show because I have let you listen up to the act break because (laughs) you have not been allowed to listen to anything past Mama Will Provide. Yeah, and the the, the only thing that I really remember about it, like in all honesty, um, because of the way that I hear and don't hear things, Mm -hmm. uh, is the the opening song, you know, this is... Mango and the, oh, oh, that's okay, uh, no, 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 no. So that the mango song, and then I guess the uh, the, the opening one, the two worlds destined to meet, <laughs> two different worlds never meant to meet. The peasants labor, the grand homme eat, 
Yes, what Kay said. How fine our clothes are. We dance. How fast we drive. We dance. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I love seeing you get excited. I love this show. Mm-hmm. I love this show a lot. Even though I know that it is a kick to the heart. And yes. I'll say I do know that about it, which I'm yes. not looking forward to that. You I'm, don't know why it's a kick to the heart, but you know it's a kick I to the heart. I don't like <laughs> kicks to the heart. <laughs> but uh, I've I've actually been reading My Love, My Love, which is the book that it's based on. So I'll have some stuff to say about the source material, about the person who wrote the source material, and about the show, and it'll be awesome. Mm. Awesome. All right, so thank you all so much for listening. We hope that you had that you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully, it's been entertaining and educational. And edutainment is what we strive for here at Tone Deaf. Yes. If you want to reach out to Kay and myself, you can do so at our home base, which is tonedeafmusical.com. There we have links to all of our social medias, our Twitters, our Facebooks, our Instagrams, as well as a link to the Cast Junkie Discord server where we have our own channel. Yes, uh, the channel is aimed at ages 18 and up because sometimes we have to use a swear in there. So um, um, I'm sorry for me. Yes. Uh, if you want to support our show, you can do so by going to whichever app you use to uh, listen to your podcasts and give us a five-star review. It really helps us move up the charts. You can do so on Podchaser, on iTunes. Uh, you can do so at Good Pods, which is one of my new favorite things now. I really enjoy Good Pods. Um, if you want to go above and beyond, you can do so by going to our Patreon, which is Tone Deaf Musical. There we have different levels of support where you can get bonus episodes. You can have your name read on the show. You can even have a little message that we read uh, for you on the show. It'd be just if, if if you want to go above and beyond, if you want a tangible way of showing your support, you can go to our T Public, also Tone Deaf Musical. There we have shirts, stickers, we have masks that you can put over an N95 mask to keep yourself nice and safe wherever you're going. Anyway, that'll do it for this week. I'm Kay. And I'm Warren. And this has been Tone, Tone Deaf. Deaf.